Principal Matters Podcast, episode 183. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm talking about Generation Z Unfiltered, part two, with Andrew McPeak, my special guest. If you listened to Principal Matters episode 181, you know that Andrew is a next-gen researcher, speaker, curriculum designer for growing leaders in Atlanta, Georgia. He works with schools and universities and sports teams on implementing habitudes, and he is the co-author of the new book, Gen Oration Z Unfiltered, Facing Nine Hidden Challenges of the Most Anxious Population. Andrew, welcome back to this follow-up episode of Principal Matters. I'm so excited to circle back around and talk to you about the challenges that kids are facing across the nation. But before I do, I just want to ask you a quick question because inside the materials that come with your new book are these 100 cards that have questions for students that you can be using education leaders to facilitate great feedback from your students or teachers. And so I'm just going to pull out one of these cards, Andrew, that I've got from my Generation Z unfiltered card deck. And I'm going to ask you, have you ever had to use grit to accomplish a task or assignment? And if so, tell us that story. (laughs) I've had a lot of grit moments in my life, and I'm actually thankful for most of them. One of the ones that immediately came to mind was a story I was actually just telling a colleague yesterday I got to spend the summer in India many years ago, and that was a very tough summer because I was asked to do a whole lot of things that I wasn't expecting to have to do. But I vividly remember being, I think I would be, I would have been 20 years old at the time. And uh, one of the things that they would do uh, to us and with us as we were there with them was we would, we would be asked to speak in various contexts. And so one night, it's probably about 10.30 p.m., the guy that we're staying with, we were staying in somebody's house, and he said, tomorrow we will go to this, this women's nursing college. And we were like, okay, let's do it. Let's go. And he said, and you, Andrew, will be the commencement speaker for this women's nursing college tomorrow morning. So all of these young women, who, by the way, are, are older than me, are going to show up with their parents to begin nursing school. And the very first person who's going to stand up and address them for their experience is Andrew. And so I looked at him and I'm like, okay, but you need to realize I know nothing about, really nothing about Indian culture. I know nothing about nursing. And I, I don't really know that much about women either. So, you know, this is going to be a challenge for me. <laughs> to this day, I still don't remember what I said, but I got up there and I, I delivered their 20-minute commencement speech and I sat down and went, I'm glad that's over. Uh, but it, So it took a lot of grit to go, I'm going to just do it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to do it. And I've learned a lot since. I think I'm probably a much better communicator than I was back then. So... Oh, that's fantastic. And so Principal Matters listeners, just because you are an educator, you know how sometimes you just throw people into unprepared situations. And uh, I did not tell Andrew I was going to ask him that question. But Andrew, thanks for that story. And and I love these cards because I I have been using them in leadership meetings that I have. I'm not going to make you answer another question, but for listeners, just to give you some samples of some things you're going to find in these cards, uh, questions like, would you say your life has been easy or hard? Explain why. Name one or two childish activities or habits that you've left behind. Why is this good to leave 
childhood experiences like that behind or why is it not good? If you could only use three words to describe your own online brand, what words would you use? I mean, so there's so many different ways you can spark conversations with students or even your own colleagues about their experiences in their life and build relationships and understand people's insights as you're teaching and working together with them. But Andrew, I'm so glad to have you wrap up a second episode as we talk about the great book that you and Tim Elmore published this last year, Generation Z Unfiltered. And last time we were together, you highlighted the nine challenges that you uncovered in the research that you guys have done. And I'm just going to list the nine of them because we're going to dive into another one of these in today's episode. But those nine challenges are empowerment without wisdom, two, stimulation without ownership, three, privilege without responsibility, four, involvement without boundaries, five, individualism without perspective, six, accessibility without accountability, seven, fluidity without integrity, eight, opportunity without resilience, and nine, consumption without reality. And if you're listening to this episode for the first time, please go back and listen to the one before because Andrew unpacks each of those shortly. And then he focuses on specifically stimulation without ownership. And today, Andrew, I would like you to just follow up by unpacking for us individualism without perspective. What does that mean? Why is that a challenge that students are facing today? And what can we do about it? Yeah, well, this one uh, became a personal passion project for me. Uh, This was one of the challenges that I got to uh, focus on and develop for the book. And the reason this one became such a passion project for me is because what I see in today's generation is a growing sense of maybe a lack of community the way we might have experienced it years ago. I remember years ago, we used to talk about how Starbucks has become the new front porch. Do you remember that? Uh, That was a big thing we used to say, I think back in 2009, 2010, when Starbucks was becoming this trend. And basically two realities are happening at the same time. One is people are going to different sort of pre-set up public spaces to get their community experiences. And two, we stopped really building front porches on our houses. And it's just a part of a growing trend that I'm seeing. And that's even more worrisome for me when I see the next generation, because they don't remember a time uh, where it was anything different than it is today. And what I mean by different than it is today, I mean, uh, I think we have, we spend as a human race, especially in the United States, we spend more time alone than we have ever spent in our, our world's history. We don't have as much community. And what's happening is growing to a point where each person, especially young people, are becoming more and more individualistic in their mindsets than ever before. So they're struggling more than ever to see a world outside of themselves. And uh, as a result of that, we're seeing two negative trends starting to grow. One is selfishness and narcissistic personality. So actually about 11% of, of Generation Z is showing signs of narcissistic personality disorder. And the, the other side of that same coin is a growing uh, sense of polarization and incivility, which I think these two things are actually pretty intricately linked. And they come from this same source of a growing individualism. So all in all, I think it's not completely bad. What we need to do, though, is watch out for the possible ramifications of what's uh, going on here today. So today's kids are struggling from being part of a more self-absorbed world. Now, I want to say, first of all, that this is not actually their fault. Today's kids are growing up in a world where 
they, this is sort of an, an adapting that they've had to do to survive because most kids, their day is so full of stuff that they actually don't have time to consider other people's perspectives or other people's days. And it's kind of a defense mechanism that their brain is doing just to sort of adapt to the amount of the onslaught of information that's coming at them, which is why step one to solve this problem is actually just margin. A young person having margin in their day that they're not spending on coping mechanism activities like video games or YouTube videos or Netflix or whatever it is, but instead spending time outside, Uh, in social situations, doing creative activities. Uh, Margin for those kinds of activities is step one to solve this problem. So that's kind of an aside. I actually don't feel like that this problem is necessarily their fault, but it is something we're going to have to help them navigate. So what I'm seeing is, uh, and we actually, we have a term that we use for this, is what I'm seeing is a growing sense of ego centralization, ego centralization. And what's basically happening with ego centralization is that today's generation, you know, the the term ego is sort of your sense of self. So your idea of yourself. And what we're seeing is that young people's ideas of themselves today is growing, growing to be focused more on things that are internal to who they are rather than things that are external to who they are. So years and years ago, if you were to ask somebody to describe who they are or, or kind of identify themselves they would have been far more likely than today's generation to reference things that were outside of themselves. So uh, somebody talking about their identity would talk about their family. They would talk about the school that they went to, the community that they lived in, the religion they were a part of. Those were external sources that gave them an internal sense of identity. If you ask a kid today to describe who they are, they are far more likely not to reference those things, but instead to reference things that are internal to who they are, things like their personal hobbies, their areas of interest, their personal strengths and skills and gifts, or even their personal experiences. Those are the things that are far more likely to be a source of identification for them. And so instead of your ego being decentralized or coming from outside perspectives or outside uh, places, our ego is becoming centralized. So I'm thinking, I'm deriving my identity from things that are internal to who I am. So There's an interesting transition that's happening because of this. So that's sort of the narcissism and the self-absorption that's happening. And what we're seeing as a result of that comes from this reality that's called the tribal switch. And there was a a sociologist who coined this term years ago. Um, It was actually a a guy who survived the Holocaust as a Jew. And he became a, a sociologist who was studying why do people sort of collect in groups and then allow themselves to make really horrible moral choices that they would never have made as an individual, but because they're a part of a group, they're more likely to make that that decision. And what he decided or what he discovered is that, that when young people or really anyone is forced into a group, even if the group alignment is arbitrary, that something happens where they actually flip this idea, this, um, this thing of a tribal switch, where basically they will act to protect other people who fit as they see it into their tribe and they will act to protect them and even make some very poor moral choices to protect them no matter what, because they, we have inside of us this in-group protective uh, sort of switch that can flip. And, And whereas I think young people in previous history would have flipped that tribal switch to protect their country or protect their religion or protect their community. Today's kids are flipping that switch to protect much more arbitrary and subjective things. Like they'll protect people who like the same movies that they like, 
or they'll protect people who are part of the same Facebook group as them, or, or just a very arbitrary, seemingly benign things. And so I, what I see is a growing sense of incivility as a result of this uh, growing sense of, of, of ego centralization. So it's really kind of interesting, these two things that are, are linked together. I don't know if I did a good job explaining them, but this is where the problem itself sort of comes from. Wow. I just want to park there for a second, Andrew, because that's uh, those are some observations that I've not really unpacked before in talking to leaders about students and their own their own understanding of themselves in their world. And I, and so let me just unpack for a minute and tell me if, if I'm walking in the same direction that you are, but it sounds to me like a lot of what you're saying that young people face today. And I see this, not just in young people. I think this is a generational switch that's happening globally is this idea that my identity, my perspective on the world, my loyalties begin first with myself. And although that sounds very, American in some ways, because we are, you know, ruggedly individuals, individualistic in America. It's also can be a danger if all of the definitions that I have about myself, my world, my perspectives first start with myself. Correct. Because sometimes I may not be as informed as per, I may not be as wise. I may not be as discerning as I need to be to understand what's right in front of me. And so that actually creates some alarm in my own mind as I think about how, how do we lead a generation of students that grow up in this tribal switch. And I think we see this polarization happening politically. I think we see it happening within our own culture wars. I think we see this happening with within the obsession um, that we have with, not obsession necessarily, but with the the epidemic that we have with anxiety um, in our culture and with loneliness, because there is an epidemic of loneliness as our culture changes too. Even though we have more access and connectivity, we actually have more individual alone time than we've ever had before. And so let's, if I'm understanding that correctly, then take us to that next step. As you talk to, to leaders about antidotes for this or ways to, to, to work with students with this in mind, what what's suggestions and advice do you have for leaders facing this new generation? Yeah, so I would say two things came to mind as I was working on the solution chapter for this one. One is to address that that uh, ego decentralization problem of, of sort of self-absorption. And the other one is to address the incivility issue. And, and, and the two things are linked, I think, but they're really two different activities that we can do. One is to uh, help young people find perspective. So we talked about the problem here is individualism without perspective. Uh, I don't think it's bad to have a sense of self that comes from hobbies and some of those other things. It is bad if you don't ever make space for perspective outside of your own. Um, so one of the things that, that I think that we should do is give new language to this generation. So when I'm speaking to them, I use this framework, and it's a framework that came from an old uh, rabbi named Yosef Soloveitchik, and he basically came up with this concept uh, that David Brooks talks about in his book, The Road to Character, that's what it is. Uh, David Brooks, which by the way, The Road to Character was one of my favorite books that I read uh, in recent history, and one of the things he talks about is the difference between a resume virtue and a eulogy virtue. And I think this is part of where we can help young people begin to get perspective. Resume virtues are the, the things about you that you would like to put on your resume, right? Um, so it's the schools you went to and your achievements and your grade point average and the published documents that you have and all of those really cool outside things, right? Most of our lives, especially our young lives, 
We are told to focus on our resume virtues. And I believe that overly focusing on your resume virtues is actually one of the culprits that's leading to this ego centralizing issue. And so what David Brooks talks about in reading Soloveitchik is what if we began to focus not just on our resume virtues, but even at earlier ages, we started to focus on our eulogy virtues. So eulogy virtues are uh, the things that would get talked about if somebody was giving your eulogy, if you had just passed away. And so what I point out to uh, young people when I get the opportunity to talk to them about this is if somebody stood up, if you died tomorrow and somebody stood up at your eulogy, they would not stand up with your resume and read all the things that you had accomplished. What people talk about at eulogies, how people are remembered comes down to their virtues, right? It's the kind of person that you were the feeling that people felt when they were around you, right? And in the end, especially if you live life, as I've talked to a lot of uh, older people, especially folks who are near the end of their life, what they talk about, they, they talk way less about their accomplishments and way more about the kind of person that they want to be. And I think that uh, we would be doing young people a disservice if we didn't, if we let them wait all the way until they were in their 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s to start thinking that way. I think one of the things that we can help them do is start earlier with discussing. I don't actually, let's put aside the resume virtues. It's not that resumes are bad. It's not that your accomplishments are bad, but instead let's focus some time on what kind of person do you want to be? If I asked your friends to describe you in one or two words, what words do you hope they would use? And what words do you think they would actually use? Do those things align? And and those kinds of conversations, I think, can really help young people begin to get an idea and a sense of their self outside of just their own achievements or hobbies or interests or schooling or whatever it is. So I think that's step one. Mm, That's really good. Um, It reminds me of an article that I saw, and I can't remember if it was the New York Times or one of the large national publications that did a word search on the word used most often in obituaries about people that are often included in their eulogies. And the, they ran the data for like 25,000 entries. I'll have to look up the research, Andrew. But they found the one word that was most consistently attributed to people was the word help. Mm. And, and so I think when you're thinking about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues, um, trying to help ourselves and our, our own students realize that ultimately at the end of the day, it's not necessarily the, what goes on your resume. It's the, it's the actions of helping others, serving others, that really have to define um, the value that we bring to the world. So thank you for that. That's really yeah. good. What, what other solutions? Because individualism must come with perspective. What, what else would you, what other feedback would you give as yeah. leaders are wrestling with, with this area? So, and I do want to make one last comment that in the book, I, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I actually have a four-step process that you can follow to help the young people that you're leading discover what are my eulogy virtues. And so you can actually follow that right there in the book. Uh, but here's the other side of this is it's actually something that I, I discovered reading about Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, trip that he took to India to figure out or to find out from Gandhi what he did in order to bring about a peaceful revolution in India. Those of you who know the story know that MLK actually never got to meet Gandhi. Uh, Gandhi passed away just about a year before he got there, but he had he was able to visit lots of sites, um, speak with Gandhi's top people, as well as meet with his family. And so he was able to learn a whole lot. And one of the things that Martin Luther King Jr. discovered as he came back, those of you who know, the powerfulness that came out of the civil rights movement was not the fact that it was a group of people who were fighting for 
the rights of African-Americans and people of color in the United States, that movement had actually been going on for a long time. The difference in what Martin Luther King Jr. did, and, and the reason he's remembered so much today, is because he did it through a posture of nonviolence, right? He made a decision, and every single person who was following him had to make that same decision, which was, no matter what the other person does, I'm going to choose to bring that person closer to me, not separate that person from me, which is what violence does. And, and there have been a number of great thinkers who talked about this, but um, but there's another person who's a part of the civil rights movement named Polly Murray. And Polly Murray wrote about this concept as the way he said it is, I want to draw the larger circle. Then what he said is every time somebody does an action to exclude me, I'm going to draw a larger circle to include them. And I think that that perspective for me has been so helpful in uh, how I would encourage a young person to look at somebody who they would believe from the immediate get-go, me and this person belong in two different categories. You know, I'm a Republican and they're a Democrat, or I'm uh, uh, this religion and they're this religion, or I believe in this and they believe in this. Whatever are the things in our world that can separate us, you can actually do this activity and actually walk through how to do it in the chapter. But you can do this activity where you actually help them realize that they have more in common with that person than not, right? So uh, what you do is you basically draw two circles. And in the two circles, you write down what's the thing that that separates me from this person. And then the thing that in the second circle, the thing that separates them from me. So you could write Republican and Democrat maybe in those two categories, right? So that's step one. Step two is to then, in the case of what I'm talking about, uh, is to then say, what is the thing or a virtue or a an identifier that actually links the two of us doesn't separate the two of us? So if in the case of this, if one of us is a Republican and one of us is a Democrat, there's a whole lot of things that actually unify us. Uh, one of them is we're both Americans, right? Another one is we both believe in the power of democracy. There's probably a long list of things that you could come up with. And you start to mm-hmm. when you start to make that list, what you realize is that the things that we have in common are more powerful and more universal than the things that separate us. And the discovery that we're hoping young people make in this is to realize that when I'm having a conversation with somebody who's different from me, what I need to do is focus on the underpinning or the, uh, the foundation of similarities rather than the foundation of differences. And when you do that, you're actually able to make some ground for civility it's crazy to me to read about times past that were actually not that far past in the 60s and 70s and even the 80s when Republicans and Democrats in our country in the Congress, in, in Congress and the House of Representatives and in the Senate would literally finish a vote where they disagreed with one another and then go out for a drink afterwards. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's so hard to imagine that reality. And, it's, and as we look back on those folks and we think, how did they do that? The answer is very simple. They believed in their similarity as Americans more than they believed in their difference as coming from two different political parties. And I think we've lost the ability to do that uh, today. And so we just need to help young people begin the practice of drawing a larger circle. That's what I call it. Uh, And so if you saw somebody, a young person who was like, man, I don't, I hate everything about that person. I would challenge them to draw a larger circle to figure out where the similarities, where's the foundation upon which we can build a conversation. Wow. Well, 
Principal Matters listeners, if you listen to the last episode and this one together, you are walking away with some rich, rich takeaways for leading students in this generation. And so, Andrew, I just want to thank you for the work that you and Tim have done together in creating this new resource for leaders and providing not just information, but also specific hands-on ways that leaders, teachers, educators, parents, coaches can be interacting with students and and children or young people or their athletes in ways that help take them to that new level of perspective. Because you and I both know, um, as you talk a lot about leadership and the work that you do, and as obviously um, I work with school leaders, that we seem to have a consistent assault on what leadership looks like across yeah. our nation and across our world. Yeah. And so it's it's so good to pause for a moment and ask ourselves the questions, how are our students seeing the world that they're looking at? Because the, the way that they're seeing our world right now can be very confusing, very overwhelming, and can create a lot of anxiety. Yeah. But there are answers, ways to help them find perspective in the midst of that anxiety so that they're making better informed decisions. So as we wrap up today's conversation, I wanted to give you a chance to tell Principal Matters listeners how they can stay connected with you, but yeah. also any any um, final thoughts that you have for, for anyone that wants more information on, on working with Gen Z kids. Absolutely. Well, if you're interested in getting the book or getting the table topics that Will talked about at the beginning of this uh, podcast, you can find out tons of information about it on our website, growingleaders.com. But we actually also have a, a landing site for the book itself, generationzunfiltered.com. And you can pick up the book and the table topics and all that stuff there too. So that's a great place to go. Uh, If you're interested in Habitudes, we mentioned uh, Habitudes, I think in both of these episodes, but Habitudes is a really great curriculum that we have developed that uses images to teach leadership and life skills. So things really that we've been talking about. um, And you can find out more about that at growingleaders.com slash Habitudes. Um, We have different Habitudes courses for all kinds of things from social emotional learning to leadership to uh, anything that you can think of basically. So, so those are two great resources. If you want to connect with uh, growing leaders or me or Tim online, we're on all the social media sites, I think at growing leaders at Tim Elmore at Andrew McPeak, that's M-C-P-E-A-K. And um, uh, so I think we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I don't think we're on Snapchat. We don't have the patience for that as a lot of your listeners may not, but, but everywhere else, Uh, we are there. So yeah, Will, thank you so much for letting me be on here and uh, getting to spend some time with you and and connect with your listeners. Well, thank you, Andrew. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you for the time that you take each week to learn, to serve, and to keep working with students, this Generation Z that need strong leaders like you. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.